Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and my guest today has lived a colorful life. He's an ex-punk rocker known as Uncle Todd to rappers' families. He's an award-winning documentary film producer. He's taught photography classes for Canon and the NFL. He's shot U.S. presidents, Olympic athletes, and Major League Baseball players. Todd Spoth is a photographer based out of Houston, Texas. This episode of Story Untold is brought to you by Focal at bookfocal.com. Focal is the next evolution in booking and business platforms for photographers. You can send invoices, connect your website, customize your storefront and packages, and book more clients with less emails, giving you back your time. If you want to read this interview, you can also find it on bookfocal.com. I won't take too much offense, slight offense, if you'd rather do that than hear my voice. This podcast, though, will run a little longer. Think of it as the director's cut of Todd's story. Here it is. When I was a kid, I was always jealous of the neighbors who had pools in their backyard. And uh, <laughs> you grew up next to a pretty big pool. Tell me about that one, a pretty famous pool. Yeah, um, the so the Nutribuoyancy Laboratory in Houston, I suppose you're referencing. Um, I'm was born in Galveston, uh, Texas, which is a little bit south of Houston uh, along the coast. And I lived in about 20 different houses, you know, in my youth. So we moved around quite a bit, including mm -hmm. a brief stint in Paris, France. When I was in fifth grade, we kind of moved there for a couple of years, which was interesting. One of the homes that we moved to post that trip was a little neighborhood called North Fork, which butted up against the property of Ellington Air Force Base and uh, very near to Johnson Space Center campus where my mom worked for about 30 years for NASA there. And we have a lot of fond memories, you know, on NASA's campus as a kid growing up. Uh, before 9-11, you know, it, it was a lot easier to sort of get a family pass for your car and we kind of take trips there and, mm -hmm. and pass through and different things. But the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory specifically is, um, uh, I believe at one point or still is the largest indoor pool in the world. So it's this ginormous pool inside the Sonny Carter training facility there where they train the astronauts. So there's a full scale replica of the International Space Station inside of it. And it is an incredibly fascinating place. Um, whenever I was still in high school, you know, my mom, which is a very Asian military mom, it's like, you need volunteer experience. So mm -hmm. I volunteered at the Space Center Houston and uh, gave tours at the NBL to tourists and things during a summer there, you know, prior to working properly. And um, we used to go as kids, ride our bike up to the, the NBL, you know, walk up the stairs and, and go to the observation deck and sort of eat lunch and just see these astronauts working and, and just, you know, wildly fascinating um you know everything and just kind of it being surreal that we were able to to be in that space and mm -hmm. um experience that so close to our, our homes was really special for sure to be a kid that moved around as much as you did did any particular home feel more like home than the rest did you spend more time at one than the others was it was that clear lake city or or elsewhere yeah i mean <clears throat> you know clear lake city for sure Around that area, we moved to several different homes, Galveston, Texas, um, Paris, France, that I mentioned previously, mm -hmm. you know, and then as an adult, I moved around a lot. I mean, I'm in my current space here for about the last four or five years, which to some people would seem like a very brief stint for mm -hmm. us. It feels like a lifetime. <laughs> I think, you know, there are certain, my family, you know, my extended family, we don't have a lot of family on both sides of uh, my, my mom and my stepdad and my, my dad that were in Houston. They're kind of scattered around the country elsewhere. So, you know, I have like an uncle's, he has a place up, you know, upstate New York and my aunt on my mom's side has her home in, um, you know, outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And it's really interesting when we go back and visit those spaces. And I'm, I, I kind of, have this weird sentimental feeling around those spaces because I have memories as a kid in those spaces. So there's not really a place here in Houston or Texas 
that I can still go to and have memories from when I was a kid. Mm. So it's, it's kind of interesting when I'm back in those, those spaces, I kind of, you know, reflect on like, wow, you know, like I remember being five or six and having pictures of me having fun in this place. And we've moved around so much back home that I don't really get that feeling of, you know, I went back to my mom's, you know, I have friends that are like, I went back to my mom's house, my parents' house. And I found, she found my old toys from when I was a kid in the attic. And it's mm -hmm. like, not really an experience I have. So, you know, as a weird aside to this question, um, I, I take it to heart archiving, um, whether it's family images or my own, or just artifacts of my own life. Um, you know, whether it's a, like a report card or something, I, I keep all of those, scan them in and, and really try to preserve my own history and, you know, even history of friends and family. I know a lot of people, it's really hard unless you're kind of engulfed in this technological sort of job that I have. Um, a lot of friends, you know, like I lost that hard drive. I don't have those images anymore. Mm -hmm. I like to sort of be the keeper of that and, and keep all of those close, um, you know, family, friends and family, different things, because I didn't really have that as a kid. You know, I remember when we moved to France, we, we pulled out after we got the shipment of our, you know, our goods, after, you know, a couple of months after we were living there, there was a, a bucket of Crisco or a container of Crisco that my mom or family <laughs> had packed that had spilled all over our, our, our photos. And, you know, like I remember going to my grandma's house in Buffalo, New York, you know, they, they had the same, you know, they're past now, but they had that house since 1945, 1947. And my dad's photos from the fifties were preserved so much better than my photos from the eighties, nineties. Oh. They were just in rough shape. They just, you know, not because of neglect, just kind of happenstance and that we've moved around a lot by nature of just kind of not staying in one place that that was something that sort of taken a hit. So as I became, you know, a photographer and in this sort of world in general of images and, and having the knowledge of preservation of these images, I sort of taken it upon myself to uh, keep those sort of things, even if the physical version might not uh, sustain itself over the years. I'm always going to have a digital version and at least keep that, you know, high quality scan mm. um, around in, in, you know, propagating throughout the web and, you know, different things so that we may preserve this part of history for myself and my own family, mm -hmm. but for others and other, you know, communities and groups that I've been a part of, you know, keeping those things alive um, is very important. So. What did you think you were going to be when you were a kid moving around all the time? Oh man, I had no idea. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm from Texas, so we, we like our sports here. You know, yeah. I played little league baseball growing up and it's such a weird thing to talk about my experience in France because, in, you know, when I was in fifth grade, even though we had moved around a lot, I had my little league friends and in fifth grade, you know, back in that early nineties sort of era, your life is you're five streets around your neighborhood. You know what I mean? You go to elementary school. I went to elementary school in the same neighborhood that I was at at the time. And, you know, and that was my world, you know, riding my bike, going to little league practice and games and then going to school. So within two weeks, my stepdad had a job. We moved overseas and boom, we're in the middle of Paris and we don't speak the language. We don't know what to think. So it was really crazy because there was a group of expats that were living there that were, you know, Americans, and their kids all were part of this baseball team and this French culture. Um, very odd because they liked, you know, soccer and yeah. different things. But we were great. We we were like the ringers because we were all like American <laughs> kids over there. And we and we like we we did so great over there. We did, you know, we just um, won every tournament that we were part of and it was a different a lot of different experience because the infrastructure wasn't the same. Like we would show up oftentimes to an activity park in a different municipality and have to mow the grass before we even were able to set up the bases to have this tournament. Yeah. And then, so it was just very odd. Um, and then I remember in seventh grade, eighth grade, I came back to, to Texas and I tried out for the baseball team. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even try. I didn't even make the team. <laughs> Like we were ringers in Europe and, and I came yeah. back to the States and it's like, you're not even good enough, bro. Like it's, you're nowhere near the level. 
of these guys over here. So, um, you know, I, I sort of, my life took a different trajectory then. And, and I didn't really have a lot of like odd career aspirations as a kid. I was kind of doing my thing as I was in, you know, high school and middle school, I played in a lot of bands. I kind of was, you know, touring around with my bands. A, a week after I graduated high school, um, I was on tour with my band, California. Came back for a week and went on another tour to California with a different band. And I sat back down at the end of that, my first, my freshman year of um, college at the University of Houston, 9-11 happened. And mm. um, it was pretty interesting that that happened at that same time. And I was set to go to law school. I wanted to be a lawyer at that time. And, um, you know, looking back, I think it is definitely always something that intrigued me about the legal system, law, kind of being a lawyer. But there's also a part of me that was like, I was a, I was a kid in a punk band. And, and I, my mom, like, cried the first time I came home with a tattoo. And <laughs> it was, she, you know, it was like a very Asian japanese like military household where you know this is kind of unacceptable <laughs> so i think a part of me telling myself and her that i wanted to be a lawyer was sort of to calm her down and mm -hmm. to calm the situation down in a way to say you know hey i'm going to school i'm, I'm gonna be a lawyer don't worry it's it's one of the three accepted professions in you know, this kind of a situation engineer <laughs> doctor a lawyer we're gonna be all right you know um, and, and, and I, sometimes today I still told myself I shouldn't be a lawyer cause I, I, I love, you know, maybe it's just people that say I like to argue too much, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was interesting that I was in the political science psychology track in university and towards the end, um, you know, increasingly getting interested in the camera and photography as a serious endeavor and was stuck in. Uh, you know, Latin American political thought and Russian foreign policy and these really off the wall classes where I had the only Macintosh computer out of, you know, anyone and I kind of the only Apple and everyone mm -hmm. was like, what are you doing? Here? <laughs> I know I'm like, I got to finish it out. You know, I got to finish it out. So, um, yeah. I want to backtrack just a moment. Uh, you were talking about uh, some of your punk rock days. Uh, so tell me, what was Houston like, or was it, were you in Houston then, uh, when you were, you know, in in that yeah. sort of teenage years? Um, what was the what was the scene like, the music scene like, uh, being a punk kid growing up in Texas? Yeah, it was great. You know, um, when I came back after Paris, and a lot of my friends, you know, having that couple years off, and it was pre-internet, so it's not like I was able to just talk to my friends on Instagram or MySpace or whatever it were at the time. I, I was just completely disconnected to these friends that I had. And, um, you know, there was a couple that, that sustained that, that time gap and I reconnected with, but for the majority, they all were on their own path. So I think mm. that sort of detour to Paris, um, kind of set me on my path to be involved in music and, you know, that sort of punk rock scene, um, I met a lot of my friends through that community. And I know I talked about a little bit of the communities when I was talking about the archiving. And um, that's one of those communities where it's like, I archive all the flyers, I archive all the videos, I just digitized and uploaded some old VHS tapes of some dear friends um, from one of their first hardcore bands in the mid 90s, you know, sort of before I was even on that scene. But it was important to me that I that I preserved that for them. But you know, you know, mid to late 90s, early 2000s in Houston, um, you know, it's an interesting spot because we always have a sort of chip on our shoulder, so to speak, because a lot of the tours and a lot of the bands know Austin for that mm -hmm. sort of scene. And mm -hmm. we get a lot, we get kind of passed over from a lot of the tours and different things over the years. But, you know, we always had a great music scene. You know, Houston's music scene even now it's so diverse you know as a city we're one of the diverse you know the most diverse cities in, in the country but we just there's so many different offshoots of the music and i tell myself i talk about this 
um, with a lot of folks about music because uh, honestly I, I was a musician before I was a photographer very passionate about you know music of all types I was I'm a tattooed ex-punk rocker kind of guy in hardcore bands but I grew up on you know Sade and New Jack Swing and R&B and hip-hop and those kind of things as well so I'm kind of like uh you know a purveyor of all of these types of music. And I, mm -hmm. I don't really enjoy the first like root of the music. So if you think about punk rock, the actual punk rock, I don't really have an affinity towards beside, you know, like I do all of the offshoots of it. So once a musical genre establishes itself and then sort of gets diverse, you know, there's a bunch of offshoots and then the offshoots are, are what I sort of um, look towards, which is an interesting kind of, you know, observation that's mm. taken me years to, to sort of get to but you know i love houston it has a great great music scene now then we did too and it's just great to see what everyone's doing and over over these years that since, since we were playing in those early days for sure who who were you in the band what was your uh, your role i played guitar always um i started playing guitar couple years after we got back from Paris on middle school kind of era. And I played bass in a couple bands as well. I always wanted to play drums. So I was always the guy at the band practice that would annoy the drummer by like getting behind his kit and like just kind of rudimentary slapping, you know, a few things and trying to <laughs> act like I was a drummer. I got like, it's a funny story. I got a drum set from guitar center or somewhere. Um, like a $350, this is a really cheap drum set. And I was like maybe eighth or ninth grade. And I brought it home. My mom came home. She immediately came into my room. And was like, you got three hours to return that. <laughs> so we, you know, we banged on it and turned it up real loud for like three hours. And it's like, nope, this is, you know, suburbia. We, we live close to our neighbors. They are not going to take that. I'm not going to take that. No. So, you know, although I've always wanted a drum set, always wanted to play piano, I still kind of have MIDI keyboards around the studio mm -hmm. to kind of, to you know, work my way around it. But uh, guitar is kind of what, what I, um, what I gravitated toward. Mm -hmm. so, so when did you really pick up a camera then? So I think in, you know, high school, there, there are, images of me kind of with the camera when I was little, but that was just, that was kind of nothing there. Um, none of my family are technologically advanced or photographers and know how to work a camera at all. That's Apple fell very far from the tree on that one. And when I was in high school, I took a photography class. It was, you know, half film analog photography and half sort of Photoshop. And I was more involved in a Photoshop and it was one of the only, is, is literally the only class I've ever failed in my existence of education <laughs> is photography. It's a wild story. I kind of butted heads. I was not very good at authority back then. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I butted heads with the teacher. He's like, you could never be a photographer. Um, and I was like, not excited about the film part. I was more excited about the web design and graphic design. I was designing all of my band's flyers at the time and, just really getting involved in the digital side. I really love that. Um, a couple of years into my U of H um, college university education experience there, I um, picked up a camera. I had a friend that was going through the, the photography program there. And I remember I took a trip to San Francisco. I just wrote about this actually in, in another post. Um, I borrowed one of my best friends, and to, to this day, he's still one of my best friends, and um, he works with me quite often, um, helping me out and uh, producing and assisting for me, but he let me borrow his Canon A70, which was like a three megapixel camera, point and shoot, mm -hmm. and I remember just kind of exploring San Francisco on this family trip with this little camera and just unlocking something for me, so... At that time, I kind of transitioned from the punk, hardcore music world and into the import car scene, which was huge in, in Houston at the mm. time. Um, so it was just uh, a huge community of folks where, you know, I got a camera and 
I, another, a couple other folks got cameras and digital cameras and our first sort of digital SLR. And then we got a bigger one and bigger one and bigger one. And my last sort of job, quote unquote, had every job under the sun, bartending, restaurants, um, you know, uh, I was, you know, working at car dealerships for a long time. And then I worked for a camera shop. And I remember getting my first sort of real jobs as a photographer during that last, you know, role as a retail sales camera, camera person. And um, yeah, that's, that's sort of where it all began, but it was, you know, 2004 or five when I sort of got a camera for the first time. So mm-hmm. I've been doing this for a while, but at the end of the day, um, not forever. You know what I mean? It, it it wasn't like when I was two that I picked up a camera or even 13. There's a lot of stories I see where it's like these photographers have origin stories of them in middle school or high school, even. And like, I wasn't even picking up a camera like that until probably my sophomore junior year of, of college, I think. Mm. So when you say you go to San Francisco and, and it unlocks something, like what's the feeling or was it, what is it unlocking? Yeah, I was, you know, it, it was, I think being able to connect um, that spark of artistic freedom in a in a more immediate way. I think when I was sort of teaching myself Photoshop and all these things, I didn't really have the skills, uh, traditional skills of a graphic designer. I couldn't really draw. I, I didn't know how. I was mostly manipulating found objects and mm. different things for flyers and kind of on the back end playing with this stuff and getting to a place where I was happy with it. But I think that camera allowed me to take a picture and I would see it. And then I would take another picture and see it and, and being able to manipulate the variables within that, you know, that camera and seeing the instant result was kind of like an aha moment for me. And and it wasn't even then that I immediately went home and got a camera. It was just definitely the first time I picked up a camera on my own and was like in my own little world. Like I wasn't, I wasn't a photographer at that point. I wasn't even an artistic person, although I had been in bands and kind of, you know, enjoyed Photoshop and these kind of things. But it was really the first time where I was like, wow, this is cool. You know what I mean? I'm able to take a picture of, you know, whatever this object is. And, and I, I have some on the balcony of our, of our hotel just doing like you know kind of like when you first get a camera a slow shutter speed mm-hmm. shot of some you know lights going down down the street of the car lights the headlights and it was just um i don't know something something sort of happened in in me during that that trip so, for sure so was this pre uh richard carson like when you when you're at university of houston you enroll in a, a photography course right was this after that trip or when did that happen yeah no this was Wow. So, um, 2003, I was like a sophomore at, at the university of Houston and I, I had not gotten my first camera. I didn't even own a, my camera at that point. I think my family had a camera and I don't think we even had a digital camera. And I, I, I knew that digital cameras were kind of getting, getting going during that era. And I borrowed one from my friend. Um, but that was 2003. I took that photojournalism course about 2005, mm-hmm. I believe. It was right before I was finishing up and sort of an elective that I needed to meet, but I was unable to take the class because I wasn't a communications or a photography major. I was political science. So I had to go up to the teacher, Richard Carson, who was a Reuters photographer, a working photojournalist at the time and an adjunct professor there. and. He saw that I was serious. I was kind of getting serious-ish at that point. I had, you know, gone through buying my first digital SLR, quickly upgrading that to the next, you know, a 10D or Canon 20D and Mm -hmm. trying out different lenses and just being enthralled by different self-assignments and just fun things. I would go out with my friends and shoot and just try to recreate things. And it was somewhere around that, that realm where I was like, I could make this a career or something a little bit more serious, but I wanted that initial class, you know, to just have that kind of 
experience and just just to see if I could learn a little bit more than what I was teaching myself. I was completely self-taught up until that point. And it, it's not like that I learned a lot from that course because it was kind of elementary to me at that time even. But Richard was like, you're actually interested in photojournalism. You know, see me after class. And this is the mm. first class. And his goal at the end of it, he's like, look, all of these other kids in this class are education majors. They're broadcast majors. They're not, they're just, this is just, part of their degree plan they don't care about being a photographer you actually care like don't worry so much about the assignments in class our goal is to get you an internship by the end of the year so i was like okay yeah i want i want that you yeah. know what i mean um so that was the first kind of introduction in, into doing a doing photography a little bit more uh you know passionately and he connected me with the houston astros my hometown baseball club and, you know, obviously growing up playing baseball, obviously being from Houston, I'm a huge Astros fan growing up, went to the games in the Astrodome and was just a huge fan. So to be able to have that internship essentially be, hey, your job is to photograph all the games and mm -hmm. be the de facto team photographer um, for that summer. It was like, it was great. You know what I mean? What is that? What is that like to photograph a major league baseball game? Wow, you know what? What kind of approach do you have to take to get good photos? Oh, uh, I think you know it just takes being serious and being. I mean, you know, serious is a little bit of a a, a bad word to use because I'm not a serious person by nature. But I think it's not dissimilar to how I go about my professional career as a photographer regardless if it's baseball or something else like i care about this craft i care about bringing my authenticity to everything i shoot i like to be informed before i photograph something if possible you know whether it's a portrait shoot with someone notable or just an event i like to learn about it so you know to get good baseball photos you kind of have to know baseball you know you you need to know in what situation a double play is going to happen or when to watch for a runner coming home from third base. So it's those anticipation things that make the action images, you know, better for a photographer, mm. but it's also just human psychology because as a photographer sitting in, in the camera, well, next to the, um, next to the dugout, you start to watch and observe the players and how they interact and what they're doing and that is sort of a skill that you can't really describe or showcase it's just knowing how to read people and um, know when the mood is tense and they don't might not want to get their photo taken or when they're in a playful mood and looking to just talk to somebody it, it's it's knowing those things and being able to navigate that sort of interaction at any point during any job mm -hmm. uh, that's sort of giving me whatever level of, su of success I have. And I think that's, it's due to that, you know, we're, we're getting into more education and I've always um, led workshops and things and, and talked to younger photographers. And I feel like there's a lot of photographers that are afraid to talk about money or share their secrets or whatever that may be. And it's like, I can tell you, every bit about how I do my job, but you're never going to work like me because I'm a different person than you. You know mm. what I mean? So I'm able to connect in a different way than you are another photographer, vice versa. <clears throat> you know, excuse me, all these shutter speed aperture. I learned it on YouTube and anyone can learn it on YouTube. It's not hard, especially in today's, you know, era of, pick up an iPhone and make infinitely better pictures than I made on that <laughs> digital camera back in 2003. Uh, but, you know, it's something different when you're, when you're working with someone that on, on a story that may be really sensitive and it's only you and this person and they can't even see your eyes because you got this big black box in front of them. And, you know, I don't like getting my photo taken. That's why I tell everybody, like, I don't, I've never liked getting my photo taken. My mom told me that too. They're like, you know, you never like getting your photo taken. I still don't like getting my photo taken. This is why I'm a photographer. You know, I, <laughs> I take my passport pictures 
for my passport myself. Like I, I make everyone leave the house and I set up the thing and I press the button and it's like a whole event, which is um, absurd. But <laughs> in a way, you know, like when I get to work with a real model or even someone that's comfortable in front of the camera, mm -hmm. it's great. Like it's, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. But 99% of the work I do, even if it's someone notable, even if it's an actor, still photography and a still portrait session is 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 and can be very intimate for for folks mm -hmm. and you're you know whether it's a billion dollar ceo they're letting their guard down with you and or they should or that should be your goal as a photographer to, to, to have that interaction on that level and and that's a special thing that you kind of have to have the right respect for as a photographer especially have the right respect for what they're giving to you or what their potential is to give you in that exchange. Mm. Talking about that Houston Astros season for a moment, uh, what, what moment, if you look back on that season sticks out, if there's a, if there's a point in time or a particular memory of, uh, of a game? Wow. Well, so, you know, um, we had gone to the World Series and sadly been swept by the Chicago White Sox <laughs> in, in 2000, uh, in 2005. And, and I was shooting the 2006 season. So there's a lot of, you know, hoopla around the team because we you know, finally went to a World Series and we got some, you know, good things going on. People are interested in baseball again. You know, we're doing it. So there's a lot of moments. Uh, Roger Clemens was um, came back to the, to the Houston mm. Astros. And so there's the return of the rocket, they called it. And <clears throat> this was a was an interesting era. There was a lot going on. You know, the the team since that 2006 season, it's been a quite a quite a bit of years. So thankfully I was able to photograph the 2017 World Series, which we won. Mm -hmm. Um, and then last year's World Series, which we didn't, and to be there for all those games was very special to look back at you know, my history as going as a fan, you know, to the Astrodome, different things over those eras, experiencing the team in a different stadium, in a different era, experiencing the team as an intern and sort of working for the Astros, coming back as a journalist and and experiencing it all. It's It's special because there are a lot of those experiences that I have that, you know, people would people were paying like five grand for a ticket and i'm like i'm getting paid <laughs> and you don't even get to for five grand you don't get to be like standing on the field with them right in jubilation you know post win or dejection or whatever it is so you know as a as a detour to this question my apologies i can get off the deep end but, i'm enjoying the detour um, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> Um, you know, I think about it as Jeopardy because I was a huge Jeopardy fan, still am. And I would always listen when they kind of introduced, um, you know, the players, you know, Alex Trebek asked them about a quip, you know, a personal anecdote. And some of these people are like, you know, you're my mom's friend once saw Britney Spears on the street. And right. it's like, this is this is the one thing you have to talk about on Jeopardy. And I was like, my goal, and this was way before I was a photographer, my goal is to have life experiences mm -hmm. to talk about. And I might not get far in Jeopardy today, but I could talk, I, I could have stories for months of just random things that have happened to me on in life and just career as a photographer, just interesting things. And you know, my stepdad was in oil finance for so many years, and his job is the reason why we're in Paris. And I've seen him kind of work his way up um, over the years. He's been in my life since I was very young and an incredibly impactful figure in my life. And as I saw him, you know, moving up the corporate ladder, so to speak, he was still told me, he's like, look, I, I still have a boss, even at whatever level I'm at, I still have a boss and they still annoy me. And I do accounting and, and finance. There's they haven't invented any other numbers, you know, like it's just spreadsheets. So it's like if you if you love this, you know, if you have this passion for photography, go out and, and do that. Because not a lot of people can 
can do that and make a living from it. So if you're able to, to do that and, and make a sustainable living, don't worry about this corporate world. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. forget what your mom says, you know, about this stuff, like do your thing. And that really, you know, I really took that to heart. Um, and, and there are days when I, grass is greener, I kind of look at my cohorts in different industries, um, getting paid through a pandemic because a corporate job or, or what have you, or, um, you know, the stability of always kind of knowing what your paycheck is going to look like. There's a lot of variability in what we do and sort of um, ups and downs, but I, I wouldn't trade my experiences and the things that I've gotten to do for any of that. And, and, and that's definitely special, special for me, for sure. Mm. How, how did your mom react to uh, the photography path? she she, not very i love my mom not very well (laughs) she you know like um everyone's a photographer kind of thing um uh, you know she's a (laughs) she's a very stereotypical um japanese parent that came from a military background and my my grandfather was a like a legendary gunnery sergeant in the air force and um and was very militant and we, we bonded as a grandson and a grandpa should do but you know he passed down um that kind of attitude to my mom and i and i sort of got that but you know it's 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 taken a lot of years and i, I had to show her you know my, my first picture in sports illustrated or, or an image in the paper and for her to really get it you know like okay you know this is this is something he's really doing, but I, I, you know, that's just, that's just that kind. So, you know, (laughs) they're supportive now and they kind of get it, but um, it was definitely a little bit of a, a claw to the surface. Understand like you're so close to law school. Why would you, why would you do that (laughs) situation? But uh, you know, it is what it is. Hmm. How did your hip hop photography project start? Oh, so I think just as, you know, same with the baseball is like you put your passion and authenticity into whatever it is, and it's going to come out the other side a lot better. Um, You know, and I I still go and photograph like the ballet and I have nothing to do with ballet or ballet dance, but I take this curious kid attitude into it and it's like i'm just excited at all these new things i'm learning about the ballet and i want to translate them images and and bring back that but um you know it's kind of anything that i do but for the hip-hop i was already passionate about it i was already a fan so it just made sense and although i was in a lot of punk and hardcore bands um i was a hip-hop fan way before i was into punk rock or rock or any of that in general um and i had photographed i think it was for a local paper um i got an assignment to photograph a rapper a local musician trey the truth here in houston who's Mm -hmm. an incredible human being and like activist and is just he provides so much for so many people especially today um and it was just an assignment to to photograph a portrait of him and i remember uh getting his you know for local paper they like they gave you a phone number to call and they say have the picture in by this time and there's not a lot of hand holding that goes on there especially for freelancers so i called the number trey and his very um very deep voice that is hard to understand um was at a studio till 2 a.m came over to my apartment at the time we set up a portrait studio i let him know hey i'm a night owl too come over after your session it was two or three in the morning Mm -hmm. he came over um, with two or three people we did this portrait shoot in my dining room at the time um he loved it he ended up loving the photos um i'm always open to turning a fun assignment that I didn't know someone, you know, my, my goal is to come in as media and leave as family. Mm -hmm. Like I I want, I'm not, you know, I maintain my journalistic integrity and editorial ethics and things, but at the same time I'm there. 
I want to come back, have you invite me back and, and be working for you and just at least taking pictures extended past the, the assignment that I initially got. And um, we, that kind of opened up a relationship with us where, you know, he was introducing me to his kids as Uncle Todd. And I was just kind of going everywhere with, with him and his crew at the time. And they got really quick that I wasn't trying to be anything that I'm not, you know, um, I'm just myself and they didn't have to worry about, you know, an outsider coming in and sort of throwing a wrench in the plans or, or yeah, I'm just me. And, you know, um, thankfully was able to gain that trust pretty early and that sort of snowballed into, into other things and different artists coming around and other younger artists seeing my work with him and wanting me to photograph their project. And um, it's still sort of an open-ended project, although I kind of feel like I wrapped it up as far as, you know, I, I still get um, assignments and commissions to photograph hip hop related events or portraits. And I love those. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm happy with the body of work I created around that. And, um, and it's just a great time. And Houston's just a great hip hop city. We love hip hop. It's, there's, I try to describe this to folks that don't live in Houston and we have sort of, you know, it's not horses and cowboys down here for a lot of people who don't understand. It's the, like, you know, the fourth largest city in the country and we have a lot going for us, but we also do have cowboy culture. There's a lot of, you know, kids in the suburbs that big trucks and boots and cowboy hats every day. And that group of kids anywhere else in the country or world would never be listening to hip hop. But here, mm. those country quote unquote country kids that you would never think they they'll recite a Trey song or a zero song or some of these local rappers that we have here just because it's just like, it's just, everyone loves hip hop in Houston. It's just our culture. It's part of our, like our scene. And it, it doesn't matter who it is. Like our, our news embraces it, our, our mayor and our, like, they all embrace it. And it's just part of our like social, social and cultural fabric. And it's beautiful. And I love it. And I love, I love, you know, recording and photographing these people on stage and off stage but you know trey holding his babe his kid when he was a baby on the set of a music video i like to take my journalistic roots and bring those to that hip-hop project because a lot of the the music photographers and brothers and sisters that i met in the music photography world they didn't have that 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 photojournalism or journalism background so they didn't really have that instinct or it was taking take a lot harder for them to, to hone that instinct of the decisive moment and being able to bring back different looks of things that people would normally not see. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, what I carried into that body of work and, and I, and I still love it. And it's just brings a smile to my face because there's so many great moments around all of that. For mm -hmm. sure. Being, being a Houston guy and a hip hop guy who was at the top, for you like when you started this project started photographing <clears throat> rappers hip-hop artists who is the one name that you had circled like i need i need to photograph this person um you know it obviously growing up um bun b ugk was very influential to me at the time mm -hmm. um the ghetto boys are a very storied group in Houston history with Scarface and Willie D and mm -hmm. the crew and Bushwick, RIP Bushwick. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't like I had some outliers that I didn't circle every, every, once I got sort of in the inner circle and was there, everyone was around. I think it's more like, um, you know, a couple years ago, I got to shoot Bun B for sort of, um, a different project. Uh, and I, he was able to come to my home studio here and I was able to spend some time with him and really get to talk to him. And it's like, I've seen him many years over at different events, but when you get to have a one-on-one -on -one portrait session with them, it's a little bit different and to be able to talk to them about influences and different things, those are the special moments. But, you know, um, pretty much everyone in Houston 
from past to present, if they're still around and, and doing things, I was there. Slim Thug, Little Flip, um, you know, even even um, like Solange and Beyonce were are from Houston. I mm-hmm. photographed them and sort of been in their their aura several times. And you know, it's just just a fun play. I mean, this happens within hip hop, but then also on the set of other shoots, um, productions and things. Houston, we take it, we're, we're not on the keyed up level of New York or LA. So I think a lot of people come and experience an event or a production or some kind of thing in Houston. And it's like a little bit slower paced. Everyone's friendly. You don't have to sort of put up that wall that you, you might've anywhere else. And we just kind of have a good time and, um, you know, Southern hospitality. So, Who's the better golfer between you and Scarface? Oh, wow. Face for sure. <laughs> he, he is for sure. You know, like one of the first times we had met, he, he was, he um, faces, oh, man, he's an infinitely in, interesting character for sure. Um, I, we had met, you know, just at a random place in Third Ward off Cullen or something. And it was like an abandoned like uh restaurant that i i you know as photographers we look for especially portrait photographers we look for good backgrounds you know if, if we're, we're not making an environmental image meaning if the image and the background and the environment is not going to be um a large part in the photograph or it doesn't tie to them if i'm doing a portrait i'll just look for a cool background a cool color or something that that plays a part and i found this really cool turquoise building and we parked in a parking lot and he was on the phone when he got out of the car and he was, on, you know, I was kind of just observing him for a little bit and um, taking a break to talk to this person. And he had gotten the, you know, a, a golf club out of the trunk of his car during this call. I do the same thing. Like I, I have to do other things when I'm on the call with someone. Like if I call somebody, I'll go upstairs and like sweep or do my, make my bed or something, you know, something to, to occupy my brain while I have this call. But he had this, you know, golf club out and was taking little chip shots from little areas on the on the concrete slab that had overgrown with grass, you know, so he can get his ball in there. And I'm like, after the call, I'm like, do you just want to go play? It's like hit some balls. And he's like, hell yeah, I do. And the, you know, the <laughs> municipal, the the course was right down the street. Um, so we, I, you know, we we jumped in the car and went down there. And to be quite honest, we were like just chatting it up and hitting golf balls for so long that we didn't even get into the photography part to take a picture until it was dark. So I really only had like three sodium vapor, really nasty lights of this, um, you know, municipal driving range in the middle of the city, Herman Park, uh, Herman Park driving range golf course there. Um, so the, the sort of situation was less than ideal photographically, but, it was so much, so much more important to me and so much more of an endearing special story for me to hold on to that we had that moment. And I was able to sort of just talk to them because, you know, he plays guitar, you know, like I was talking to him about guitar. I, I feel like, you know, trying to connect with them and, and not in a way that wasn't authentic that I was just like, this is everyone's favorite rapper it's your favorite rapper's rapper. Right, like right. he is a god in in hip hop. Had songs with Tupac and everything else. So he's like one degree away from these just heroes and a hero himself. So t- to be able to kind of like for that small window of time, sometimes that's all we get as photographers to have that interaction and have it be there's no bodyguards around. There's no hangers on around. I didn't have an assistant with me. I didn't have a producer with me. I didn't have an art director with me. He didn't have, you know, any goons with him. He didn't have any hangers on. It was me and Scarface. And we mm-hmm. were just hanging out. So, you know, any other time after that, um, because I work hard at showing them my true self and showing them that I'm real, I'm I'm bringing my authenticity. I'm not trying to be anything I'm not. I'm generally interested in you and trying to make this picture the best it can, but also connecting with you and not trying to, you know, like get your autograph or, or make it feel weird, especially for people who are notable. And then the next time they see you, 
they're coming to shake your hand because they remember that interaction too. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, uh, you know, I had, I was on a trip last year and, you know, Willie D called me up from ghetto boys, you mm-hmm. know, Scarface's partner. And he wanted me to come take his, his family's Easter pictures. And it's like, I'm not a family photographer, and I did, but it's just like Willie calling me. I was like, Hey, what's going on, Todd? And it's like, even though I was out of town, I would have probably done it for sure. Just mm-hmm. for him, you know, who cares? Absolutely. Um, I couldn't do it cause I was traveling at the time, but I was just tickled that, you know, he rem- remembers who I am, even though we've established that relationship. And, um, but I just assumed that, you know, this person is a famous guy, even though I've had those interactions, I, I of course he might not remember me or might, might not remember those interactions like I have, but, um, you know, that, that's great. And, and, and that was the goal, you know, like I want to be family instead of this media character that just comes in and gets pushed out. So. Mm-hmm. One of my f- favorite photos of yours, well, I'll give you my three favorite photos, but I, I'll ask you about one in particular. Bun B with the chain in his teeth, Obama through the car window, and uh, the, the prints you got, the metal prints that they used to make the baseball bats. Uh, so those are my three, but, um, but I wanted to ask you about the Obama one. What is it, what is it like to shoot a president? Wow. So, um, it is an incredible experience. Uh, for one, I, I photographed several presidents. He was the most, that was one of the most impactful moments. Um, it was very interesting. I, I, unfortunately in my career have not had the, the opportunity to have like a one-on-one sit down portrait with a sitting president that is semi rare and um you know a very very great experience um i'm assuming but for me i had the opportunity to photograph obama i believe in 2013 and he was coming to houston to do some fundraising or an event he flew into Air Force One flew into Ellington Air Force Base, which is right next to the neutral buoyancy laboratory that I talked about in the beginning. And I was photographing it for the newspaper. And then local newspaper's job is to not only photograph the president as he arrives and greets his local dignitaries and whatever gathered public, if that's a thing as well, but also to stay there the entire time he is in Houston or wherever he's at. And then the local photographer's job, this is sort of an unspoken rule of photojournalism, is to get the photo of the president waving as he enters Air Force One. Just in case Air Force One goes down, you would have the last image of the president. Mm. So that's kind of one of those things that happens. And um, it's, it's, it's always the same kind of image of, you know, someone turning around and waving before they enter the doors of Air Force One. And not always the most interesting picture, but it is important picture. So for that commission, for that assignment, I had to show up hours before Air Force One arrived to get my entire bag, everything that was on me, checked and triple checked by Secret Service. Um, Then we were able to position ourselves on this riser. There was only a couple of photographers there on this riser on the tarmac to be able to be a little bit elevated about four or five feet up with long lenses to get his air force one's arrival and him coming off the plane kind of waving as well um but a torrential downpour happened right before air force one was landing so we had to pull an audible everything got wet thankfully we had rain covers and you know things and nothing got ruined but we pulled everything into an airplane hangar there was public around. He pulled in with, um, you know, the motorcade, and I was able to get, you know, some of those images. And, and you can just see Obama from his uh, from his profile and its silhouette, and it's great. But he got out of the car, greeted the local dignitaries here, um, you know, the local congressmen and congresswomen and things like that. Went over, you know, went around. Um, reached out and shook my hand and introduced himself as well as, you know, I'm not trying to do that as, as a member of the press, but you know, if he's going out of his way, absolutely. Um, worked my way around P 
people that were gathered and it, it was really like an 11th hour audible of you were already set up you knew your settings you've gone over it in your head you've gone over it in the moment and bam rain happened everyone's inside you gotta mm. put your gear to the side we our gear was already sort of corralled in a place where we wouldn't have to worry about it and and now we're inside with all the public there too and all these people so now i'm like i have to watch my gear on the side of the the hangar and also work and it was really wild and then you know he speeds off in the motorcade and then i'm just sitting in the middle of this airport hangar all the public's gone the public's not coming back so it's just like two or three of us in secret service for hours while he's at you know whatever event he's at and then it's dark um and for a couple hours that he's gone um i was able to sort of walk around get semi close to air force one and take take pictures and things and and i was like you know obviously not touch it or hmm. abort it or anything i was not part of the <laughs> traveling press pool but i was kind of in awe of being on this tarmac and and being able to photograph one of the world's most famous you know um aircraft and you know and then he came at, at night and and i got that shot of him you know disembarking and then that was a, you know that was a special one i have since photographed him and you know former presidents and you know um current presidents and none of them were as special and impactful as that because that was as someone who doesn't consider themselves a general news photographer so to speak and i had newspaper internships and definitely do news stories but that was one of those where it's like wow you really only get to do this if you're um you know you have certain staff jobs at certain newspapers or traveling press pools so that that one that one was a was a really really fun experience for me for sure hmm. you've been you know a working professional for long enough to to have started pre-facebook pre-instagram you know the the explosion that you've seen since on instagram how have you seen the industry and and the needs of what it takes to be successful as a photographer change in that time that's interesting um i do remember i remember i remember myspace i remember getting on facebook for the first time and it was back then uh, University of Houston was a partner. So I was able to get, you know, get onto Facebook whenever, um, it was just for college students mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. 2006. And I still remember signing up for Twitter in 2008. And it's wild because I have been using Instagram for almost a decade now, which is wild to, to hear. There are certain you know, like I don't really use eBay that often, but eBay is like, you've been a user since 2000. I'm like, as someone who's grown up with technology, yeah. we're just kind of used to things turning over. So for a, a website that we are used to websites, you know, coming and going and coming and going for a website to tell me or a service to tell me that I've been utilizing that digital platform for 20 years is a place that I didn't think we would get to, or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a weird spot to be in. Um, but, you know, speaking on social media and work and, and Instagram, um, I still love interacting with it. I don't have millions of followers. I don't mind that even. Um, there's definitely something to be said about, you know, being a quote unquote influencer and having tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of followers or whatever it may be. But I've done perfectly fine without that. And, um, you know, I I keep it genuine and I don't like to – I only do it enough to satisfy what I want to put out there. I don't, mm. I don't think of it as a, like a crutch or something that I have to do. I don't lament it. I would – there are some days when I'd love to be able to have that job, you know, uh, working for – a company where I clock out at five and I'm not beholden to any part of the business past five. I can't even do any part of my job. I just do me sure that sometimes that seems appealing, but at the end of the day, um, there are a lot more positives than the negatives. I make my own schedule. I can choose to post on Instagram or not post on Instagram. Um, and although it is a job and you're kind of always working, um, I, I like, 
sort of being in the middle. I like having a community and feeling connected with folks, whether it's my Facebook community, different communities or Instagram communities or Patreon communities, different things. But I also like that it doesn't control me or consume my life so much that if I don't post for a day or two or a week, perhaps it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, there was like, it's really fascinating watching these Twitch streamers and, and that whole world. And it's like, wow, you know, I remember, I remember playing Atari as a baby with my older cousins. Mm -hmm. I remember getting Nintendo for the first time. And I remember, you know, peace, early PC gaming and, all of these things and really of that generation that has grown up with the technology. So the fact that these people are like, there are people making money from other people watching them play video games is incredibly fascinating and interesting to me. But one of them, I was watching one and this guy said, I have to, anywhere I go has to have fast internet. I can't even go on vacation. If, if, it'll be the death of me if I don't stream one day. Hmm. So it's like, wow, you know what I mean? It's cool that you get to play video games, and but there's this inherent pressure that comes with a lot of folks that have that following or have that expectation of them of a million followers or a million, you know, subscribers or whatever it is to mm -hmm. keep that ball rolling that is so large and is so moving so fast that, they're just like eternally stressed about that ball stopping for whatever reason. Um, so there's a certain part of me that, that enjoys not sort of having that ball on my shoulders, sort of rolling downhill, trying to crush me at all times. <laughs> it's a good it's feeling to have. <laughs> just my, you know, my, my small amount of followers. I, I love interacting with them and, 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 you know, I wish that I, Maybe I, a lot of days where I wish that I, it would have a lot be easier, you know, if I had a million followers or whatever, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm totally okay with it. And, um, you know, I'm going to be me, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or Patreon or, or Zoom or in person. So, you know, you just get me. How much of your work is uh, personal projects versus, you know, for your own fulfillment versus commissioned work? Like if, if you're thinking the movie parallel is one for me, one for them, where do you fall on that? Do you make time for personal projects? Yeah, I, I do. I think as you grow as a photographer, especially in the sort of commercial editorial corporate world, as you sort of level up as a photographer, a lot of your time, especially if you're kind of a small business, aren't, there's a lot of army of ones out here with not a lot of help. Your time gets, you know, filled with less and less pressing the button and taking the photo mm -hmm. and more with, um, you know, keeping up contacts, uh, expense report, you know, all these things that a small business does that, you know, you might not think a photographer's life is, you know, it's kind of like the, the meme that went around a couple of years ago. That's like, this is what everyone thinks my job is. This is what my parents think. This is what right. I actually do. And it's really just what I actually do is just like behind a computer, interacting, filling out forms, trying to get paid, you know, jumping through uh, payment portals of different clients, um, researching bids, having creative calls. So it, it, it's okay. It, it's part of the business. It's what happens. I think there are some photographers who are better than others at sort of maintaining that drive to make pictures for yourself. I don't, I make pictures for myself, um, you know, a lot of 2020, obviously traveling is a little bit different, but our family, you know, since that detour in Paris, came back my family has had similar situations and assignments in Rio de Janeiro and Singapore that I was already out of the house so I didn't really live there but we kind of have a passion for travel in our family anyway so a lot of times we don't really do Christmas traditionally and get each other gifts we just go on a trip together and my sister lives in um, now Brussels but previously Madrid and my my parents were in Singapore so a lot of times our Christmas little trip was like part of our only time to get to see each other. And I would take a lot of personal pictures 
on those trips, I would explore. I wouldn't worry about portraits. I would, you know, do more just kind of like reportage, travel, cultural kind of pictures. Um, I do still like go out and and shoot hip hop related events and things, you know, decreasing in the last couple of years, but I wouldn't wait for an assignment to come my way in, in those kind of projects that really drove me. I would just be like, I'm here, I'm here for the culture. I'm here for the archival. Like I'm here to just like capture this event for me in general. I think there needs to be coverage of it. I'm not, you know, trying to wait for billboard or complex to call me about it. I'm just there. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, I think it gets, it gets a little bit tougher as, as you get along in this industry and you have to sort of work balance work, family life, personal life, all the other business aspects it takes. But I was just talking about it the other, the other week. It's like, I still have a passion for this. I I just switched systems from Canon that I've been using for my entire career in Fuji to Sony, which is, um, you know, like nerdy gear talk, but Mm -hmm. I'm still excited about the gear that I'm using. Like it's, it's not relegated itself to this sort of monkey on my back business. I'm still the like passionate, kid i was 20 years ago 15 years ago when i just picked up a camera for the first time it's still exciting you know now i had many opportunities for covers and different things but you know my the pictures that i made were on the cover of the wall street journal yesterday and it's still thrilling to see that and to see how many people the the pictures reach and um i i still love it to this day so yeah i think um, it's gotten a lot more difficult to squeeze those personal projects in over the years and those personal images, but I still do. And I still love it. And it's all just kind of creating art, whether it's for, for a paycheck or not. You got that Jeopardy application still in the way? I want, I, I have looked into it on several <laughs> occasions and it, it's, uh, I had, you know, like I had, um, there was VH1 used to do this show called the world series of pop culture. And I would have killed that one. There are definitely holes in my Jeopardy repertoire with uh, you know English literature and th- different things. Um, but I'm pretty damn good at Jeopardy now. You know what I mean? I've, <laughs> over the years, I've always been like a trivia nerd. I've always had a TV on in the background that's playing like what you know, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Or I, I just love trivia. As photographers, I think that the best ones have a passion for just learning new things. You know, we get to see and do so many different unique things. We get, you know, the the window into worlds that people can only dream of. So we're just naturally interested. So uh, I think that translates to trivia and kind of having a lot of useless facts, but I will absolutely am going to pursue that. And you might see me one day, might see me one day. <laughs> Todd, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure of mine. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor, hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, and best of all, tell someone else about it. If you want to get in touch a few ways you can, you can send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Martin underscore Bauman. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. (laughs) 